Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Oh baby. What is it, Tuesday? Feels like, feels like Tuesday. Friday, baby. All right. I just don't know why it feels like a Monday. What is up, everybody? And welcome to the DMVR Nuggets podcast. Look at that graphic right there, fellas. Ten days. Ten days and we will be in Serbia. I'm hopeful we can finalize some of these plans. Like I've got, we've already got some great stuff lined up. A lot of people don't quite know what this trip is. Maybe it's because we don't quite know what this trip is. Like we too are, we've had ideas, we've been putting it together, but now that it is actually real, starting to put the blocks in place and see what's coming through. I can't wait to share with you. I'm going to tell you right now, some pretty big name interviews. Really excited. We are not just hitting the ground and spreading out and partying. We've got a content plan. It's a good one. Well, first of and, all. Uh, Yes, we are. We we did not know that the first day we arrive in Serbia is That's also beer fest. The first, literally the first thing <laughs> the first we'll be doing is, is partying. But we are going to get to work, and we have a good plan. And I think I think you guys will be excited by uh, what we try to bring in here. It, it, I, I'm extremely excited for it. We've met some incredible people already along the way as, as we're starting to put this together, and it's just going to be incredible. And I'm telling you, if you are from Serbia, you need to contact us. Let us know. I think that Saturday night... There'll be opportunities for us to meet up with different people throughout the trip. But Saturday night or after evening, afternoon, evening, night will probably be the day where we put together, hey, this place, this time, here's where we're going to meet up. Anybody that wants to come and hang out with us all night long, all night long, we're going to be available to you doing all kinds of good stuff. So Saturday, you want to put it in your books. What is that going to be? The 20th, August 20th. That'll be the day. Uh, And like I said, Stay tuned to the show because we are going to have some big announcements coming up as we reveal our plans for this trip. Today's show, vote. Yo. You and I haven't done a two-man game in a long time. It makes me think of Denver Stiffs, really. <laughs> Since Denver Stiffs. I, wow. That's probably not right, but it feels like it's That good. was a really long time ago. Yeah. I don't think it was that. It was way back then. Um, but I'm excited for this one. We are doing a mailbag in segments two and three, and we got some great questions. Great questions. Um, uh, such a long list that I'm not sure we're going to get to all of them, but we got some fantastic ones, including if you know how you want to get on the show, vote. You know, how, you know, you know the way you could just play to your audience. You, you send in a Nathan Fielder question. I knew Adam was going to jump all over that one when it came in. <laughs> still love the show. Still all in. Can't wait to compare, somehow do it. Basically do a Nathan Fielder bit for the Denver Nuggets. Um, but before we get to that vote, we have to get to our top story today. That's right. Yesterday, or maybe it was two days ago on a podcast, Jamal Murray hops on. Uh, let me get my notes here. He hops on with um, Kaz Brown, a former Kentucky Wildcat volleyball player, friend of Jamal Murray. And he does, you know, a short interview, has a little bit of interesting stuff. Who pays for meals on the road? 
he says the coaching staff, which is weird to me. I do think that it, I don't want to overread into these like meaningless answers, but that one what did stick out to he me. He did of, like, say because they have the team credit card. Jamal Murray has two hundred million dollars. That's a good point. <laughs> like, it's probably bigger than the credit line. Actually, <laughs> what, what, what are yeah. we doing here? Like, pick up the tab. You know, like it's important here to go out. It makes me think. Actually, again, I don't want to overanalyze this. Like players, we're not really analyzing this. It's August. We're we're reaching. But it does remind me of like Phil Jackson. I know one time, I think it was like in 2006 or seven or something in there. He told Kobe like, hey, man, you need to take the team out sometime. Like you're the team's leader and you never you've never done a thing for him. And so he took them out to dinner, except for he sat separately. Unbelievable. <laughs> the whole team has a table together. Then he was off in the corner and it was like this whole thing. So anyway, it makes me think like, hey, maybe the Nuggets haven't always had the vet that's like, hey, uh, Nicola. Hey, uh, it's I, actually your turn. I saw that you signed a deal worth yeah. almost $300 million. I saw that you did that. Could you take the team out to a nice steak dinner? Marcus Howard over here doesn't have any money. <laughs> He's like eating at Taco Bell just to save. Faku got everyone beats for Christmas. I mean, you can do something. <laughs> That's right. Can you just yeah. do a little a little meal here? Jamal, Michael Porter, how about that? Michael Porter, I know you haven't played a lot of games, <laughs> but you do make more money than everyone but two guys. Let's uh, let's go here. So I thought, that, but again, don't want to overanalyze this. He talked. He gave a shout out to PJ Dozier, which I thought was really cool, um, and talked about wanting to bring him back, which warms my heart. Also makes me think another one of his teammates is like, wait, wait for who? Like for who though? Are you talking about rosters? In my, yeah, it's my flyer. My my. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. Um, again, totally joking. But the most important thing, and I mean this sincerely, he gives this quote. Um, he was asked about Denver, and he says, "It's my home." And I don't plan on leaving. And he said it in a Jamal Murray way. He didn't say that as in like a look at the camera, smile, give this. Right. Like he almost just said it real quick. It's my home and I don't plan on leaving. You know, talking about why he likes it this much. I don't think players. Oh, no. Poor Jokic That's just a left. Really bad That's a omen really bad omen. Um, he's okay. Uh, he's okay. He's sleeping. Um that's the line I tell my kids every time they catch a frog and put it in a thing, and then I don't know till the next day. That's I'm like, oh, he's just, just sleeping. He's just I'm just sleeping. gonna put it outside, but please stop putting frogs into <laughs> a little dark. cup. Yeah. It got really dark. Um, this is telling you, they kill eight frogs a week. They, my <laughs> they just keep capturing them and putting them in jars. Um, so I've never heard Jamal say this before right. and it's weird because we make these assumptions and i know people have gotten mad at me in the past when i said i would not be surprised if nicola ex- retired after this um you know after this contract which is in five six years and and some people have said adam's the only one reporting this i'm not reporting it i'm not reporting it i'm just saying like look tim conley has come out and said he wonders the same thing when sure. he was tim conley sure. was here he was like i ask him all the time and he tells me when it stops being fun I don't know what Jokic's long-term plan is, but Jamal is a weird one because like Jokic, where I make this like, I wouldn't be surprised. I've always thought with Jamal, I wouldn't be surprised if he played out this contract. And I never pictured him as a 20-year Denver Nugget. But when he says a statement like that, it was the first time I ever go, Jamal's 25. What if he spends another whole decade in Denver? And we almost forget to even ask that question because it's Jokic first, you know? And so there are so many ways in which Jamal gets taken for granted, I think, and this is one of them, in that the way he has slid into being an integral part of not just the team's success, but the team's identity. Like, Jamal has to be here for this to be this era, this iteration of the Nuggets. And and I think I don't... Maybe Toronto, just because of the. the I always, I always thought that in the yeah. back of the mind, but until that was ever like how Tatum's going to wind up in the Lakers eventually. 
That will happen. That will happen. But until something like that lined up or there are rumors, yeah, it's just something you never even really think about. You take Jamal's presence for granted that he'll continue to be here. And it was one of the big wake-up calls of last season, of course, not having him. Right. And I think it's cool. Like, one, you know, there's there's scenarios whereby maybe Jokic is on the fence about it. And even in his mind, he's like, I'll retire. Then Jamal's like, hey, man, no, like. We're still on the top of our game. We're coming off our third straight championship. What let's are you doing? Let's, let's keep running it. You know, and then there's, you know, you think about, well, what if Jamal, we picture Jokic, you know, nugget for life and whatever. What if Jamal has another era right. beyond Jokic, you know, a la Kobe and Shaq, Kobe and Power, something like that. Um, so I just thought it was cool. But more than anything, you know, we never know what players really think of a city, of an organization, like what they want of their careers. And him coming out and saying it, I just thought it was so cool. And it made me... In a weird way, and in a small way, made me think about him almost differently. As like, sure, you know, he's he's always been a cornerstone of this organization, but maybe even more so than I had thought. Yeah, more of whatever it is we're trying to articulate with Mister Nugget. There's some of that in Jamal. More so, we almost talk about the talent first, but this is this is a real nice fit in Denver. It endears him to me even more, and it's funny because oftentimes with these guys, and we're going to run into this with Bones Highland, I think. We ran into it with Jokic to a certain extent and, and Michael Porter to a big extent and now with Jamal, and that is I first met Jamal. He was 19 years old, and he was very much a 19-year-old. Yeah. There were parts of him when you're coming through that that me as a 30, at the time 33-year-old guy or something I'd look at, and I'd be like, wow, you know, immature or just young or this or that, and almost in some ways distance it. Like, there's some players that I feel like, like Paul Millsap's my age, so we call him dad and stuff, but I'm like, you know, I'm an old guy too now relative to these youngins. Connect with those guys or this or that. Like, Jamal was almost the first one where I was just like, man, he's a different generation than me. Right, you right. know, he, like, just feels younger. And now he's grown up. He's 25 years old. He's gone through a lot. I do feel like there's a lot of maturity to him, and, and it's kind of funny in this weird way where I almost feel like we're halfway through the Jamal experience, but maybe we really are just at the beginning of the Jamal Murray experience, and that's exciting. Um, and then lastly on this point, it's so uncommon in today's NBA for a player to stick that long. It's even more uncommon for two players to stick. Like, who are the guys that are long-tenured right now with their teams? Damian Lillard, extremely high profile. Who else are we talking about right now? Giannis, basically, he's like nine years. Giannis and Milwaukee are, you know, feel like guys that right. have been through it all. But even he's like in a – we don't think of him. He has so much more of his career ahead of him. Who else are guys that you're like, yeah, that was a lifer? Yeah, that's a good point, man. We start to get to Devin Booker, who's like the same as Jamal. He's probably the one. Yeah. Jokic, who's like seven, eight years now. But there's not that many guys that you look at and say they were there the whole time. Could Jamal and Jokic, like Dame sets a sets a new trend of being a player that just like said, no, I'm going to not run from the grind. I'm going to be here. It would be really cool if Jokic and Jamal were the guys that were just in Denver for 12, 13 years. I've wondered aloud if that's one of the biggest changes we're going to see in this next generation of players. I mean, we've seen Giannis walk the walk, Jokic now walk the walk. Um, knock on wood, but what are we talking? He will. Right. You know, John Moran has already said stuff about wanting to be in Memphis. I think we're starting to see the appeal of that resonate with this next generation. And Jamal could be one of those guys. And I don't know if Jokic really thinks this way. And I, I don't know about Jamal either, but there's a real path to them cementing themselves as the most important Denver Nuggets. 
well, I want to get to that second part here in just a not, second. Not just Jokic, but, but Jamal. Too. But here's another thing just about, here's what's funny about how we tell stories and whether it's right or wrong. But if I were, sometimes I think about if this never doesn't work out for me, player, you know, writing about players and doing podcasting, maybe I would try to work for an agency or something and just right. be like, look, right. you guys are missing the forest for the trees here. Let me explain how this comes off to a fan or this or that. One of the things I was thinking about in terms of like narrative you know, Stockton and Malone get elevated mm. to a level that, say, Peyton and Kemp do not, or some of these other duos that had a short... Part of why they're... is because they spent years together, decades together, and they even though they didn't win, they get elevated into this, yes, but we know Stockton and Malone. And I wonder if... How many other duos do you have? Kobe and Shaq won championships but a short window, but how many duos do you have that, that reach that level? And I wonder... Could Murray and Jokic be this era Stockton and Malone? Not in sure. wins losses. I sure. hope they win one, so I don't want them to be in that way. But can they be in that they just talk about what was the best duo? Everybody talks about best player. Who's the best? Who's the blessed of this generation? Whatever. What if it was, yeah, but the best duo was Murray and Jokic? Extremely on the table. I love that. Like you can't mention one without mentioning the Correct. other. And that was the thing about the bubble run and then subsequently the injury. As Jokic got better and better and better, their chances still felt ultimately futile. Right. You realized how essential Jamal was to the, whatever the, this team's success is. And I think, I wonder if Jamal recognizes that, but there is a golden opportunity to stay here the whole time to be Jokic's is partner. Not, not Robin, but partner and lifting Denver into a new era of basketball, a new reputation league-wide. And that is something that can be achieved here in a way that can't be if he goes elsewhere and starts over. I think you have to win to have that kind of longevity. I mean, the thing about Stockton and Malone is they were always in it. They were always in the conversation. Right. And uh, so enough so that you didn't feel like, hey, the formula's wrong. And I think even to this day, nobody looks at Stockton and Malone and said, yeah, they just couldn't win together. It's that right. they ran into Michael at right. like the peak of you know his team powers, at least. Um, and I, you know, obviously Denver has to win and I think probably win a championship, but there is this, like, that's the golden, that's what you want. A team that is in the conversation for a decade plus. Right. And you just look at it every single year and you could be like, who are the top four teams? Well, you can pencil in the Utah Jazz were, and then it was the Bulls and, and then it was the Rockets that year, like this and that. But it was always the, if it was that way, and we talked about the entire 2020s about who are the best teams. Well, it was always the Nuggets. Right. And then for a while it was the Warriors. For a while it was whatever. And for a while it was this. I just think that would be... An incredible legacy, especially if you attach at least one championship to it. Well, the fact that they've even... The regular success has kind of been there. When together, they've won consistently over the years as much as any team, and really, so... Well, that, they haven't won the, like, 55-plus, though, because that's the one thing about, like, even those those teams, they were 60-win teams. But every year, they were in the running for home right. court. Every single season, in a way that even the best teams haven't always been. And so, if that now... You start seeing that in the playoffs, consistent, deep runs, the cherries on top, the finals... Yeah, maybe it is a thing where you, you fast forward and you get the old heads who are going, man, 2020s, like yeah. the Denver Nuggets, you just did not want to run into those guys on any night. So Murray comes over in 2016. Since 2016, we'll start there, what have been the best duos in the NBA? And the, here's the thing. Okay. It can't be best player who had a, you know, whatever. And it can't be team. Like, I'm thinking the Warriors. To me, Draymond and Steph are the duo, but they're not thought of as a duo. Right. So who oh, are the best tough. duos? Since they got in the league, but together, oh man! I think I think that you you would probably say LeBron and Kyrie, but I feel like that one even is pushing it. LeBron was significantly better, yeah. and they never felt like they they weren't friends, so they weren't. You know what I mean? Like they weren't. 
But that that's still worked. in there. That you would, it I think still kind of works. Yeah, yeah still that's still how you thought works. of the Cavs. It was not a team. Um, so <laughs> but, yeah, who else? Let's see. Let's go through. Let's go through some teams. There are going to be some like the Celtics. I mean, they have Tatum and Brown, kind of. But that, I mean, even, again, doesn't feel like a tandem that's working together. Just two good players together. But by default, they might slide in. There was Mitchell and Gobert, but again, like it didn't yeah. work out. They didn't like each also, other. Also, Denver beat them, so yeah, by nature they, they go above. I mean, you do have James Harden and and. Uh, Joel Embiid, but that's just feels like this is the first real year. But maybe that becomes the great duo. Damon CJ. I mean, that was so lopsided. I think of them high on the list, but no way. Like, come on, they're not. Yeah, they're not. But they're also just not good, and they don't work together the way um, right uh, Murray and Jokic do. Right. Um, Man, the chat giving us any ideas here? Chicago. Does Chicago have anybody? Not really. Lots of uh, like Steph Clay and probably Draymond. That's a, that's a trio. And and again, at that point, you're just starting to get to a great team. Again, this is not a quantifiable topic. This is more just like a, you know, I'm just trying to to say what it is. Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And then Kawhi and Paul George. Ben Simmons and Pel- has a chance. It has a chance Kawhi to be as well, for sure. Him, yeah. Yep. And then um, you're right that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are up there. They're probably one of the top ones. That's the funny thing about it. I keep going through. Atlanta doesn't really have a one-two or has had one. Miami doesn't really have one. Charlotte hasn't. Memphis, New Orleans, Houston, San Antonio, Dallas. Yeah, I don't think there has been one, a one-two punch of that nature that over the, over the stretch. There really hasn't. I, I mean, mean, actually, actually I have. A, I have. KD and Westbrook also. And, and this is, I think they only had one year, 2016, because the next year, whatever. But that was a duo, right? And it didn't work out. But I do think that you will look back at that as a sort of duo. And then there's the LeBron AD bubble run. LeBron AD counts even. But it was like one year of success. I, I don't know if we're going to look back at the LeBron AD duo. But they were a duo. But are we going to look back at it and talk about it as a duo? Or I mean, is it LeBron stint in LA? They did win a title. Together. I know it did. I know it did. LeBron won a title with Kyrie. LeBron won a title with Wade. Wade LeBron was definitely a duo. This is really funny because the immediate reaction juxtaposed with how this has aged. Is he the best big of all time? Was he even part of the equation? <laughs> was he even part of the equation. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, yes, saying. they were a duo, but it just it, it's a little bit different. My point remains here. that when we look back at this era. There's an opening for greatest duo of the era. That's a great point. And not only is there an opening, I think there's a great chance that they can end up achieving it. Wow, that got really exciting. Look at that. Isn't that good? I, w- I love that. I, I love <laughs> and cementing the connection to like, uh, not that he's a Denver guy, but it's not just this Serbian thing. Like It's Jokic and Jamal. It was Denver and Serbia. It wasn't just right. the Jokic ride all the way through. Correct. Right? And so... I think there's a real chance for that, especially because, you know, Jokic could win finals MVP and people would still say he wasn't the best player on his own team. So it's all possible. (laughs) Jamal Murray, nugget for life, baby. I hope so. I hope so too, man. That would be great. Let's take a quick break, an earlier break than usual. On the other side, I wanted to go into this net situation just real quickly before we get to our great mailbag questions. The Nets, interesting. I don't care about the Nets and most of their turmoil, but this one, a little interesting to me. Interesting. You know what's interesting? Breck Beer Locator. It's this sick tool. You tell it what kind of Breck brew you want, where you live, and it tells you where you can get it. Test that out and use the Avalanche uh, Amber Ale to test it out because it's the classic Breck brew. It's a beer for champions and it is available wherever the Breck Beer Locator tells you it is. Or you can get it here at the bar when we're open at uh, the Breck Brew headquarters, at grocery stores, convenience stores, liquor stores, all over the place. Check them out. One of the best ways to support DNVR is by supporting our friends 
And you know that Breckenridge Brewery, well, they're more than our friends. They're the official beer of DMVR. So shout out Breck. DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook, and right now you can get in on the hottest sports action for your shot at cold, hard cash. Bet on your favorite sports all summer long. Gear up for football season right now. New customers can get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. Just make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't hit, you get another shot at that big win. New customer or not, whether your team's good or not, you can have fun with sports this summer thanks to uh, same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, props, so many ways to play, so many ways to get skin in the game and win when you're playing with DraftKings Sportsbook. Safe, secure, reliable. Download it. Use promo code DNVR. It must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. Risk-free bet paid out in the form of non-withdrawable free bet token. Max $1,000. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-522-4700. All right, back here, segment two. By the way, if you're listening to this uh, as a podcast, it's always a podcast. You can listen to it in your show. We try to make it. We do some visual stuff that makes it a great watch along on our YouTube page. But if you ever miss it and you want to listen in the car ride, train ride, whatever you're doing, DNVR Nuggets podcast, the top rated number uh, Nuggets podcast out there. And then you want uh, also to note that this week, at least for one week, we're going to be on our alternate YouTube channel. Long story short. There's a mishap on Google's end, and it's so dumb. Like, anytime that stuff happens, Google doesn't... Porn bots flooding the, the channel, right? Whatever. They they make a mistake on what they think one of our links is, and then they lock us out of the channel for a week. So, long story short, we're going to be on this alternate channel until we can get with YouTube to the, to, to fix everything. Um, shout out porn bots. Sure, shout out the porn bots. Um, the Nets. Mm. Last night... Sham Sharania reports in a meeting with Nets owner Joe Tsai, uh, Kevin Durant reiterated his trade request and informed Tsai that he needs to choose between Durant or the pairing of general manager Sean Marks and and coach Steve Nash, sources say. Then he says, sources, Kevin Durant informed Joe Tsai that he does not have faith in the Nets' direction. The meeting was described as transparent and professional with a clear message. Keep me or the GM and coach. First of all, peeling back the curtain a little bit. Phrasing of this stuff is always hilarious to me. I'm told that the meeting was transparent and professional as he demanded that they fire his boss. As he kicked his feet up on the owner's desk and said, uh, here's the deal, champ. Yeah, like, what are we doing Smart here, man? Like, this joint. is so, I wonder where this, I wonder where this report came from. You yeah. know, like, I'm really curious where the report of a transparent and mm. professional trade demand from an, uh, a player who has been treated unfairly. Um, it's just so ridiculous, man. So first of all, there's that report. No sooner. And I mean, like this, I know happened. I know you guys talked about it on the show yesterday, but it had just dropped. You guys were reacting immediately, but you weren't reacting to this. Joe Tsai Didn't has his own that. Twitter account. Almost immediately, it was like an hour afterwards, comes out and says, our front office and coaching staff have my support. We will make decisions in the best interest of the Brooklyn Nets. Vote. Here's why I don't care about all the drama that happens most of the time that how this is stuff getting talked about. But this one's interesting because Kevin Durant's a test subject, unlike LeBron James, Mm -hmm. who always has one year deals, one year deals. You know why he does that? So if this situation happens, he has all the leverage. Kevin Durant has four more years on his deal. No trade clauses. No, none none of that stuff. The Nets could just say, you know what? We don't want to. This was not that enjoyable. We were a play-in team that got swept. Like, what are we doing here? Kevin Durant, yes, you're a great player, but we don't know. First of all, he's 34, I think, years old, 33 years old, 34. 
he might not be good for that much longer anyway. I mean, that's a weird gamble, but maybe. And by the way, we have Ben Simmons, who we're not exactly thrilled about. We have Kyrie, who we're not thrilled about. This just might have been a bad thing that we're going to cash in and start over. We're sending you to the Orlando Magic. Uh, <laughs> like You don't have a choice. You want to go to a contender? Why don't you waste your years in Oklahoma City again or something like that? It's on the table. To me, this was meaningful. We'll see how it plays out. Nothing's that meaningful until it actually happens. But this was meaningful in we're kind of, we've talked about this, we're kind of coming full circle on the player empowerment era where like they're starting to be, it's always a chess match. Players learn that they have power they never knew and they try to tap into it. And for a decade, they've kind of put, pressed their thumb on, on ownership in a lot of different ways. This is kind of a owner being like, F it. Yeah. You want to go to, you know what? F it. We can trade you. I actually love this. And I think, remember when, when Brooklyn made both of those moves, initially the reaction is, well, you have to do this. You have to do this. 10 times out of 10. But maybe it's nine times out of 10, because let's look at what happened. They cashed in a real culture, um, um, a real place where people wanted to show up and work and were having fun and where accountability themed to thrive for an absolute utter disaster. Right. For a player who wants them to bow to him right when they haven't won anything yet and i know how good kevin durant is but maybe it's nine times out of ten because this is what that tenth time gets you like Sai can either cave and look utterly spineless right or he can play hardball with the best player in franchise history and possibly piss him off and or lose him but I feel like the, this represents the that second part he no longer cares about. There's no there's no satiating all sides here. Like Kevin Durant's either going to stay with the Nets and be unhappy, or he's going to be traded. But there's no like kumbaya finale. I, I I like this. I feel like it was a spine check, and he's saying, "Hey, I've got one." It's just so you know whether this works out for best for actually for the best interest of the Nets or not. You you do not own this team. And at the very least, just positioning just that, positioning. right? Like at least saying that. And maybe he's really shaking in his boots right now. Sure. But but at least he is positioning the like, I'm not going to play this game. I'll just burn it all down before I, you know, just fire everybody. Which, by the way, Steve Nash, not exactly like the world's greatest coach. And from all accounts, I don't think necessarily wants to even be the coach. But there's so much money offered to him. So it's kind of a funny thing to say, like, are you really going to pick Steve Nash over Kevin Durant? Like Kevin Durant's... A thousand times more important to success, but I think it's more the principle of it. Same goes for Sean Marks. Um, so I think all of that stuff is a little bit interesting, and we'll have to see how it plays out. Now, I want to say one one thing here. I hate the phrasing of labor versus capital when talking about players in the NBA because I do not think it makes sense. This is not like a factory, right, where there's like workers or this or that. The labor in this instance are players unionized players who, by the way, are making an enormous amount of money. Owners are making even more money, so there's still that dynamic. What's always thought about is there's a third wheel of the labor capital dispute, which is the actual consumers. Mm. And more than the, than this, like, one is pressing their thumb against the other, both are now in this, like, sort of equally powered or close to equally powered environment, and, like, they're trying to work together. But what I think that there is, what we're learning is, in the NBA ecosystem of this labor versus capital one having absolute power over the other is actually a disaster that w- works terribly almost every single time. Right. Synergy is what's important. And I know this sounds so simple. It sounds like a platitude. But this is why I hated the phrasing of like, oh, well, then you just support the owners. Or, oh, well, right. you just support the players. It's like, guys, these are co-workers, both of who have an enormous amount of power. And that environment is different than your typical office job environment where and, it's and different. a superstar sort of wanting to have their way 
in the NBA is hardly representative of the 1% in any sort of like economic struggle. So, And also, of course, an even more important point that player empowerment is really just like superstar empowerment. Right. It's not it's actually not, a player Dave empowerment. Yeah. doesn't feel like he has a ton of power. <laughs> Very little few yeah. players have actually filled empowered. But nonetheless, my point is the better way, instead of looking at it through like political lenses and like socioeconomic lenses, I think it's more important to look at it that the relationship between owner and player is so important. And I do contrast that to what Jamal Murray said about the whole organization has mm. treated me like family and treated me this. And I want to be here for the rest of my life. To me, that's the right synergy. Now, We've seen players say that and then demand a trade a year later. So I'm not trying to go all in on the like, look at how perfect the Nuggets are. Sure. But I'm just saying it's more important, for, in my opinion, for them to say those two sides of the equation work together in synergy and they have the fan in mind, the consumer, who's always forgotten, by the way, whenever we're doing these like pro-labor capital player empowerment debates. It's like, right. well, this sucks for the people consuming it. Yeah, they're often left out. The millions of people are really are really left out of the equation. I was talking about this on the radio this morning, and I think the term I, it's mutual respect. You need there needs to be that mutual respect between the best player and the organization. Right. And you know, some of the most infamous examples of a lack of that are two teams James Harden was on, like the Houston <laughs> one, which just turned into like just like James Harden world with if, a theme park. If you every, if you have bad roommates every time, like yeah. you might be the bad roommate. That's like <laughs> James Harden. The, like, yeah. What bad luck that he always ends up in a disaster. And you got to get lucky, right? I mean, by all accounts, Steph and Jokic are guys who are yeah. like conducive and Giannis, to this, yeah. but And Giannis is actually the best example. But again, you also need to... You can't just cave, I think. Right. There has to be some... And I would imagine that even Steph would acknowledge it's not it's not just him walking in there and telling that organization what to do every day. Right. So right. Um, the part of the story that we didn't talk about that I think is equally as interesting as the story itself is the fact that I don't know if you were on ESPN.com yesterday mm. because, it's, as you know, as a content creator, August is a really rough month for NBA news and notes. So when a tiny morsel of news is thrown your way, you fight over it. You extend that tiny morsel into a week's worth of food. ESPN did not comment on this one yesterday. They didn't do it on their television shows. They didn't do it on, online or this or that. And you're thinking, hold on. One of the best players in the NBA in one of the biggest markets just demanded a trade. And then publicly the owner commented on that. Surely ESPN has something to say. This was the premise of Ethan Strauss's great article today. You guys know the follow show. No, I love Ethan Strauss's Substack. Um, he talked about this very thing. How weird that this giant story happened and they did not even comment on it. I only highlight, I don't want to go way into it. I only highlight it, and Ethan does a great job of outlining it. If you're inter interested in these types of stories, the media and how they interact with the NBA, I highly recommend I highly recommend subscribing. What's interesting about these is we've shown, he, he posits that Woj, who is a CAA client and who has everybody in his pocket, very close ties to the Nets organization, right. very close ties to general manager Sean Marks. And this story, as sensitive, sensitive as it may be, every story that goes through ESPN gets filtered to Woj of, mm. can we talk about this? How should we talk about this? What have you? And over the last five years or so, really, it's been 10, 15 years, but over the last five years, I feel like it swung so far that now when the biggest news story of the week in all of sports drops, ESPN can't even talk about it. The number one outlet for sports. We're in a bizarre world right now, and I don't think people fully re realize what that's like. He did. Woj didn't even tweet about it. You no about tweets. The, no tweets. ESPN, when they finally tweeted about it, I think like late last night, the way they phrased it was Joe Tsai shows support of 
owner of managing manager and coach. Like he didn't. Kevin Durant's the headline. Kevin Durant demands trade as the headline. Instead, it's like Joe Tsai. That's such a passive voice to tweet out the biggest story of the year. <laughs> and it does seem. I mean, this is assumptive. I don't know how they do their business, but from afar, like player agent, you. Send your statement to Shams. He'll, public, <laughs> he'll post it for you. Right, right, and, right. And with Woj, who's more like another team, another organization, who's just leveraging every the most powerful the organization. Most powerful one. It's it's very bizarre. I think most people have some level of distinction, but between whatever it is that he does and journalism in the except for his power extends beyond himself. That would be true That's, if it was just Woj. But, but this is my point, vote. Right, right. I. We are in such a bizarre moment in time right now in media in general, but sports media in particular, that something like this can just not be reported by by the single outlet that is most responsible for reporting on the NBA. And they're like, no, we're just we can't touch this one until we get the clear. I just we're so far like over the hill on this stuff that and I don't think people quite realize it. And it makes you think like this whole league feels compromised to me. I know, and uh, yeah. How often is anyone really talking honestly, you know, about the information? How did they come by it honestly? Are they talking about it honestly? Are they putting it out there just because they believe in the consumer entitlement to facts or for other reasons? And I think it's very clear it's often the latter. I, I take solace in the fact that it's sports, you know. This it doesn't matter that well, like that to that degree. To some extent in that it's like this isn't Washington. I don't know if like lives like are on the line or anything, but it doesn't mean it's it's great. Right, you know, I'm not. I just think it's a big deal that I don't think everybody realizes that like ESPN refuses to comment on the single biggest story. Can you imagine if Jokic demanded a trade, know, man. and we were just like doing a show, and we're like, "What are the top five goofiest jerseys?" And the flip side is, if Woj greenlights that, then it it leads first take every single day that week. Yeah. But uh, well, we'll think about that when like some BS Nugget story is like leading. Everybody's tweeting about it, and you're like, well, oh, Nugget's not protected from this shelter right. here. What's going on here? Right. So bizarre. All right, let's get to our mailbag. Kale, if you pull up the docs, um, you can pull the tweets up. Do you need me to resend that? Yes, please. Yeah, just bookmark this one here as I put it, send it in production assignments here. Uh, first question up. This comes from Scott. Is there a world where the Nuggets win a playoff series in five or fewer games during Jokic's tenure, or are we just meant to suffer through six and seven game series? It's a very good question. Vote. I think there's absolutely a world in which that starts to in which that happens. Does that happen this year? I think so. I really? Don't, I don't know if the seeding is going to be tough. I, what you're talking about is if they're a top three seed again, and this time they're ready to play. Can you picture the sweep? Can you just picture it? Not really. Me neither. I can't picture. But I can see five. I can see five. Like if they played that same Spurs team again, but now they have Porter and Gordon and they've learned these lessons. I know that team doesn't exist. Right. They're beating that team in five. That last part is the hard part, but we'll get to it later. Oh, I see what you're saying. But I do think. Because I'm with you. If they played the 2019 Spurs, I, I agree. It's four or five. I think they've learned a lot of these lessons. Yeah. So I look back at it, if you go, first one, as you mentioned, the Spurs. That was the Nuggets' first ever series. There's a learning curve to it. They did win game two, and it felt a little bit lucky, so they could have been down 0-2, and then, you know, they lost game three. After that, they win games four and five, and it felt like they got over the they hump. They figured it out. But there's another learning curve I don't know that all players tell you, and that is the hardest game to win is the closeout game. And I think the Nuggets figured the, the Spurs out a little bit over games two and three. Games four and five, 
exercise their will. Okay, here we go. We're, we're over. Game six was the closeout game, and they're like, okay, it's a regular game. This is how it goes. Nope, they get smacked. If you remember, right. Jokic was ready for it. He was up for it. His best game to that point came in game six. But I think the rest of the Nuggets didn't realize that the desperate team usually wins, and they were going up against the most desperate team they've ever faced to that point. The Blazers won. You know, again, like the Nuggets, that they were so young. I'm not sure how great they were. So to expect them to win prior to seven games, which they ended up losing, I don't know. You can go back and forth. I think game two was a bad game. They win game one. Game two was a bad one. You go. They lost game three in quadruple overtime. And to me, that's the pivot. Like you mm. win that one. You maybe win that series in five or six games and you're in the conference finals. And we look at it differently. Instead, four overtimes, a couple bad bounces, and that series goes seven and they lose. The other thing about that series is the Blazers at that point were so established as a team that had right. gone through things together, knew who they were. What I they think were they were in do. the conference finals the year before. A little bit of a fluke, easy yeah, route to yeah, get there, yeah, but yeah. nonetheless. So, right. Can't and, and then there's that, that Houston series back in there. Like they just had gone through some things together that the Nuggets were still learning. And I thought Denver was the better team, but still learning how to execute in the playoffs, which is the name of the game. Then the other one in that series that's interesting to look back on was game six. If you remember. The Wancho shimmy in the corner was game five, where it felt like the Nuggets were over a hump, and it's like, okay, they're going to put this team to sleep in game six. It's 3-2. They're rolling. They got it. But again, I think one thing you have to go through to learn is that series don't always have the momentum you expect. Like, right. oh, we figured this team out. We won two in a row. Right. We're at home, and we're putting it on them so much that Wancho can dance. Game six is the closeout. It'll be tough, but whatever. It's like, no. It changes on a dime, and it changed in game six. They didn't get that one done, and then Game 7 became a coin flip that came up tails. Um, then, of course, the bubble one, whatever. Blazers, 6 felt like the right amount the the second time they played them. Yeah. Because they were so shorthand. I mean, Faku was starting. Yeah. Like, come on, guys. The one thing I will say is that series could have maybe been 5 if there wasn't a protest in the lobby of their hotel room in Game <laughs> 3, if you remember that one. Like, absolutely ridiculous. So maybe that one. So my answer is I agree. I think there is a good chance that the Nuggets, their long series is somewhat inflated in part by the fact that they haven't had a great team. Yes. In any, you know, over these last couple of years. I think if they run into like a six or seven seed again, I think it's time, I think five's on the two. It is important though, because I, I, I've asked this question before and I've never have seen it reported or, or I don't even know how I would be able to research this without taking a year to do it. But how many teams have won a championship without a sweep or without a five-game series? Hmm. Like, it's almost essential, I would I would guess, that you get through the first and sometimes second rounds easily because you have to have some energy. It's hard to get through four series. So Denver this year, hopefully they have a, a sweep in them somewhere. Um, Jared Kimber asks, we know there was a little problem in MPJ's game before, like his weak hands on catching the ball. Is that something he could have worked on during his hiatus? We know he could watch tape and, and walk through. So what else could he have improved? This time away. It's a good question. This question was specifically about his like hand strength, but I think he was really asking more in general about sure. like what weaknesses could he address. Yeah. Do you want to take this one first? Well, I've always been very curious about, and I know you've even asked Michael Porter Jr. about this, how a player improves defensively in the offseason. He, he did not have a good I answer. Yeah. I wonder if that's a hard thing to do away from the team. Unless... Uh, I don't know how you improve defense, to be honest, in the offseason. I think it's very, very difficult. To. You could watch film and, and, and get guard good players. tendencies. But but how many p- good players are there that are not in the NBA? And how do you get like a good NBA player to play right. one-on-one with so you work on your on-ball defense? Yeah, I, I think that's a tough one. And it's not one I, I – I think those are ones where you see improvement when he plays in-game reps. So, But the other stuff, 
the hands at strength absolutely the foot he looks good strength looks he looks strong footwork is a big one for me too he's such a naturally talented shooter and he wants to start shooting off movement more but i think sometimes because he's so good it can get a little lazy down low like he could do more work to set his feet i think more carefully more aggressively sprinting into screens instead of just kind of sometimes he takes those long kind of aloof strides. So I think there are little things he can tighten up. Absolutely. Um, not worried about the jump shot. <laughs> jump shot. Jumper looks good. Although, you know what? Why not? Maybe he's a 50% three-point shooter, the first ever. Right. Like, honestly, it's on the table for him. Um, His handle. handle, his handle, of course, is a big thing. Body strength you talked about. To me, if I were his trainer, and he's got a good trainer, by the way, but if I were his trainer, I would be... I've always said I think Michael Porter is a receiver, not a running back, mm. meaning the ball in his hands. Like a lot of stuff you do in the offseason, work on handle, work on moves. Stuff is great. Got to work on that. Maybe he becomes more of a running back, you know, whatever. But to me, I would be trying to work on specific reads in a continuity offense and shooting off of those reads. Like I would go through whole practices where he never dribbles. And it's like, hey, the whole point of today's practice right. is you're not going to dribble. But we're going to run this action. You need to read this. You need to read that. And you just need to be able to be quick enough so you always know like a wide receiver – how to get to the spot you're supposed to be in to get a quick shot off. Um, so reading the court to me would be the number one thing. And I would go through the entire Nuggets playbook. Where are you? What actions are you coming off of? Like, is it a pin down here? Is it a double pin down? Are you right. reading this slip? Where is it that you're going to be catching these, catching the ball? And let's work on those specific actions and reads so that when training camp comes around, it's like, wow, Michael Porter's grasping all of this super, super quickly. That would be awesome. I would imagine it was probably more about handle and dribble moves, but... It's the easiest stuff to work on. Honestly, you add a couple moves and then it's like, all right, look what we did. And then you never use it in a game or almost never use it. So we'll see. Jesse Hartman asks, there's new personnel on the defensive side of the court. How do you think this will affect the defensive schemes the Nuggets might employ? Well, the only thing is just with more adept screen navigators, you're probably more comfortable in dropping Jokic sometimes than you have been in the past. I don't know. I mean, it's the whole, you're more comfortable with all of it. I don't know if it's necessarily about a a fundamental change to the way they play defense so much as just guys that are better at it. I don't know that there's a whole lot you can do defensively with Jokic. I mean, the the one thing you can say about him defensively is he's not versatile. You're not going to switch everything. You're not, and I don't think you're going to have him deep drop or play any of that type of rim protection. I think Denver's scheme is going to have him either be trapping up at the level of the screen and then the details of that, whenever people talk about, oh, they're going to play at the level, you know, there's whether you play right hip to hip with the, with your, uh, with the screener, whether you play in front of the hip, whether you play behind it, those subtle differences matter. And we all call it the same coverage. He's playing at the level. Those little details matter. So maybe they experiment with little pieces there, but I think for the most part, you got it, what you're talking about here, which is it's more about the nuggets they now have better players to run the one scheme that they're going to be right. able to be good at. Right. And right. they have guys that navigate screens better, that cover for you better. The one thing I will say is what's exciting about Bruce Brown is you now have lineup combinations that you could put out that are specifically designed to be good in the areas you're supposed to be, at least in the perimeter. And then secondly, in the games where you don't have a front court assignment for Aaron Gordon, the number one improvement the Nuggets defensively can make this year is if Aaron Gordon becomes more like Paul Millsap as a backside defender. I think he's a better on-ball defender than Paul Millsap, but he's a much worse backside guy. And this would be the year where it's like, hey, we've got great perimeter containment. Right. We need you to be the Draymond Green, the Paul Millsap, and play that backside a little bit better. And we have the personnel that you... Last year, 
You don't have a good front court player? We're going to move Aaron Gordon to a backcourt player. Now he's guarding that guy. This year, there'll be none of that. There will be nights when it's like, hey, they don't have a great scorer at the three or the four, so you need to be a help defender that makes the scheme really hum. You want to uh, quick ad break here? Let's take a bra- break. On the other side, we're going to rapid fire some more great questions. Evaca TV. They actually dropped us a question. I don't know if you saw that, Adam. They dropped us a mailbag question. I they saw said, that. How can we watch uh, Nuggets and Avs on our TV? We know the answer. We know the answer. It's with Ivaca TV, the new goat in Colorado sports. The the greatest of all TV. Ivaca TV delivers amped up sports coverage for you, the Colorado sports fans. Just bypass the little billionaire slap fight this year. Just don't make it a part of your life. How about the lowest price for sports in Colorado all in crystal clear HD while using less bandwidth? Ivaca TV has altitude. It has AT&T. You got everything you need to watch your favorite teams. Uh, and right now, Colorado sports fans can get $10 off per month the first three months. Just score this deal. Go to Ivaca.tv slash Colorado 10. That's Ivaca.tv slash Colorado 10. And just like that, you can watch your favorite local teams again. I personally think that's your right as a tax-paying Denverite or Coloradan. So tap in to Ivaca. They're changing the game. Speaking of changing the game, uh, how about the leader in sports merchandise and collectibles? FOCO, your home for Denver sports coverage, that's us. Well, we're partnering with the leaders and that's them. We want you to know that FOCO has officially licensed collectibles and gear, including the Nuggets back-to-back MVP, Nikola Jokic bobblehead. Find your fandom with that or with FOCO's other officially licensed Nuggets gear. Check out their gear and merch for other Denver sports teams, including the new Rocky City Connect bobbleheads, and more head on over to foco.com click the link below the youtube description for all non-presale items use the promo code dnvr for 10 percent off all right back here segment three and you can see up on the screen super producer kale has our special limited edition shirt that is a fundraiser for our trip to serbia as we've mentioned many times it's a huge undertaking nobody else in the world no matter what the outlet is sending a group of people abroad to better connect with the culture culture and history of the country of their best player. We are doing that very thing, and we're very excited for it, but it's an enormous undertaking. Luckily, we have a genius in Eric Weedham, who uh, you guys know as D-Line Co., who put together this beautiful shirt. So please, do us a favor. Buy this gorgeous shirt and wear it to the bar. You wear it to the bar, I'll be like, you know who you are? A real one. Supporting the homies as we, we go out for our trip. We will shirt. definitely not miss you in that gorgeous red shirt. Um, all right, segment three, and we got a lot more great questions to get to. A reminder again, guys, we're going to be on our alternate channel this week, DNVR2 on YouTube, as we sort through a couple issues. We might have a few issues with the website as well, so be sure to hit subscribe to this new one and put, turn alerts on so you never miss one of our shows. Hopefully within one week, we'll be back to the old cha- channel. Um, Ze- Zeke Van Dehi says, would you rather ha- never have a post-game interview from Jokic again or only be able to interview Jokic and no other Nuggets. Similarly, if you had to choose one current Nugget to not on, to be the only post-game interviewee, who would it be and who would you choose? All right, so vote first one. Would you rather have Jokic only or never Jokic? Probably never Jokic. I think I know that sounds too. blasphemous. It's a rare it's a rare day that you feel like, wow, that was a particularly great insightful media session. I know, me. but when he does have them, they're so good. I know. And it's the one that everyone wants. At the same time, if we only did Jokic interviews, we would never have any segment threes. <laughs> but yeah, he shrugged his shoulders again today and he said it was a good win. This is the thing is Jokic has to talk almost every game as all star players do. Right. And he's not 
the type that gives you great stuff every time. But he does give you great stuff. When it's good, it's great. When it's good, it's really, really good. But you're right. If you had to talk to him every day and only him, there would be games where you're like, I don't know what the team feels about the game right now. <laughs> Jokic no seems unconcerned, but everyone else looked upset. I don't know. I don't know. It, the same token, he is the most important nugget. And generally speaking, he's the one who's the most insightful about what's going on. He doesn't always share that. This is true. But it is like if you never talk to him, you would feel like you don't really know what's going on with the team. Nonetheless, I'm with you. I would have to take everyone else <laughs> for that. But then this, the second part of this is so hard. If you could only choose one nugget, who would you choose? The Nuggets are probably in the bottom 10 in terms of good quotes post-game. It's always been that way. It really has. They haven't had... I mean, Will Barton was by far... If he was still on the team, it'd be him. Jamal, I don't know if he's there yet. Bones. Bones is more energy and hype than insight by a lot. A thousand percent. It's like um, the dessert. It's like the ice cream. If if you had that for your meal every day, I think you would... That's a great point. Eventually be like, I'm don't getting any nutrients here. I think that's exactly it. Jamal, when Jamal decides he's in the mood for it, it's good. Jamal is my answer, and this is funny. I'm hoping for a big season from Jamal on the court. Hoping for a big season from Jamal in the media. <laughs> I'm so curious. We haven't heard from him in a long time. He can be contentious at times. He can ask like he can like go at a reporter thinking there's an ulterior motive. When I when me personally, I don't think that there w- there is one. So, um, but it would be him. I'm hopeful. Did I just break DraftKings? Yeah, dude. On the air. On the air. Sorry. Uh, so I think I would pick Jamal. Pastorette says, what is your dream path to the title run? I'd oh, say Minnesota, Phoenix, Golden State, Philly. What would be... Well, yes, a bunch of different ones, but let's just ask your personal favorite. Let's start with this. Let's go in reverse order because I think it, uh, for me it was easier to go that. Who would you rather beat from the Eastern Conference? Like the best story. Celtics. <laughs> You're free. <laughs> <laughs> the only argument against that is that means they made the finals. Yeah, but you know, it would be pretty great. You're right. Celtics would be a pretty good. So you went straight for the just like you you want the, to see the collapse, even more so than the 76ers. I think it's way funnier if the Sixers just never make the finals. I agree. I agree. Just never even get there. Even the conference finals would be kind of funny. Yeah. There's a real part of me that everyone like, again, this happens. The season ends, Jokic MVP, people are like, he's great. Two months later, who's in your top five? Not Jokic. Nobody has him, but Joel Embiid. It'd be fun if he was just a considered a top five player for a decade and never made the conference finals. It'd be pretty funny. I want to know who's willing to rank Jason Tatum ahead of Jokic in terms of best players under 30 after the Nuggets beat them. Oh, that would be a great one. All right, so in the conference five, mine was Bucks. So there's two different perspectives here. That's wholesome. It's wholesome. I want Giannis and Jokic to dominate the NBA for the next decade. So I just want them both to be there and everyone else have to. I just want to watch every pundit eat their vegetables on national television. (laughs) Brian Windhorst is up there being forced to talk about Giannis and Jokic. All right, conference finals. Clippers. You have a thing for the Clippers. I was on the show yesterday. You guys had them in your top five. Like to me, they're just a team that's out there. Uh, they're good. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think they could end up as the odds-on favorites to win the title by the time the playoffs come around. Could see it. 
as they were the last time the Nuggets beat them in the playoffs. <laughs> Just wonder if there's something here. And then two teams coming back from injury to all yeah. of a sudden maybe being the most complete rosters in the West. That's good. It would feel to me, the Warriors almost feel like at this point, if you catch them, like congrats, you caught them on the tail end or whatever. But like, you think? I don't think there's any getting over uh, whatever right. the Warriors have done. Like there's, the, the Nuggets missed that way. Right. But beating the Clippers to having next would feel good. All right. First and second rounds. Sun's got to be in there, right? Just get revenge. Is there? And then what's the other one? The Lakers. Well, the Lakers make the playoffs. Maybe it'll happen. Uh, I went Bucks. <laughs> I do think you have to have a Warriors. Like you just, I think there's All something right. too. Who you know? The Pistons had to get over the hump. Then the Bulls had to get over a hump. I just like this idea of okay. like it be, creates a better narrative. If you're like, you know what? And finally, the Nuggets, the Warriors were finally upended. And who was it? The next dynasty. Right. What just happened with the Abs? Right. Lightning going for a three peat. That's the dynasty. You have to beat them. You would have to go the hard route to get them. So I like I that. Like that. Uh, Suns for revenge. And then I have them with you, Lakers. So we had three, three, uh, two of the same. Um, oh, my Jesus or oh, my Jesus. <laughs> he says, how would you rank the Nuggets in a pure Hooper tier list? Uh, like, I think what he's asking here is who's the pure Hoopers? Who are the uh, basketball players? Wins. This is a question for Harrison Wind. I really. know. Should we stash it? No, no, I think we can just go we, into it we real got quick. You. All right, who are, who's on the basketball end of the spectrum? And who's the furthest on the basketball end? Come on, it's the easiest one. Jokic. Yeah, Jokic is the ultimate basketball player. That's why gonna, Hoopers don't like him. I mean, Zeke Nagy's <laughs> just absolute value. Zeke Nagy has a chance. That's true. Then who who else do you have? Bruce Brown. What do you think of Aaron Gordon? He's he's more of a basketball. I think he's a shocking basketball player. Yeah. Because he dunks, so you think, like, okay, but I think he's a basketball player. I think he was a better player if he leans into basketball player than Hooper. Okay. Um, and so I, I definitely don't love his crossover he does that doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I think he does, though. KCP. Yeah. Basketball player. Jeff he, Green. Every now and then he colors outside the line, so yeah, he's lower on it. Jeff Green, interesting one. Interesting one. He play. Here's the thing Jeff Green has Hooper talent, but plays like a basketball I player. I know. That's really well said. That's really well said. The I mean, Hooper side. Who's the number one hooper on the Nuggets? Now, here's what's interesting. Again, it's more of the scale of this. Not necessarily like who's the best hooper, yeah, yeah. but who is more the of a most. hooper than a basketball player. This is what makes it hard. It does make it, I'm still going to go Porter one. I think so, too. And, and like, I think most people would say Bones, but here's the thing. Bones has a lot of basketball player traits. He does. If he's, he wants to go to be full hooper in a pro-am, he can be he full can. hooper. But like, if you actually get him on the court... He can play point guard. He can play point guard and, and distribute, whereas Michael Porter, I think, is at his best when he's just like getting shots up, man. I think... And this isn't necessarily a good thing, but you watch his workout videos and go, oh yeah, that's like what he's going to play like. Yeah, gonna, for sure. You know? For sure. For sure. <laughs> Doesn't matter what court he's on. So I would say it's those two for sure. Jamal is a hooper. Jamal is a hooper with basketball tendencies, but like his, he's at his best doing like four jittery crossovers. But he does set like gnarly screens in his footwork. Yeah, his he's footwork's like so underrated. Fundamental. He's You're right. Like he's it. right in the middle, man. He's, <laughs> he's like a, yeah. he's the best blend, actually. I was surprised. I'm looking at your list here. Yeah. And I'm surprised about this one, Davon Reed. I just don't. This was more of a not basketball player okay. than a pro hooper. Like I just don't know that he is. I don't think he's Kenny Hustle. You know what I mean? Mm. Like when you think of these type of guys, these role players, you think of them as like, okay, are they going to be extra smart, extra like crafty and savvy? And I'm like, I don't know. I kind of feel like his best moments were when he was taking crazy shots and making them. He is. He was a much better scorer and less reliable Defender, guy than yeah. I thought. Yeah. Uh, Ludi Oblak. 
Ludi Oblak. I don't know what this is. He says, what part of the game do you expect Jokic to improve the season the most? That's a good question. Hey, you guys start making your own list. Yeah, they're all up here, boss. <laughs> I don't. We've said leadership for two seasons in a row now, so I don't want to say that. All right. Well, I think you're wrong, and I'm going to tell you, Voya just had an interview with Ogi Stojakovic, one of the Nuggets coaches, but it was in Serbian. But he sent me a couple of the highlights, and allegedly he's going to transcribe it here. Voya, we're waiting on it. But he says, uh, Voya. come on, Voya, what the heck, dude? But he said that one of the things he talked about, and he was asked this very question, where has he improved the most? And he's like, as a leader. And what he said was, especially in film sessions, mm. he's like speaking out in film, like leading film sessions now more with the team and stuff like this. So I think you almost dismissed the leadership part of it. I think as is the case with all things Jokic does, he just doesn't ever advertise it. Right. Sure. We may not get glimpses into it. But the improvements and, and And we view leadership as like somebody shooting free throws and he calls a huddle in and gives an impassioned speech. And like right. I think it's just manifests in different ways. But I'm still with you. It's still a process of becoming the best leader, which he has ways to go still. I think you know, there's still room to grow conditioning defensively, but those are like I don't hold my breath necessarily. And uh, he, he has made great strides. I actually still think he can cut the turnovers down a bit. Man. I know they're kind of a symptom of the same thing that makes him amazing and who he is. It'd be interesting to see if his turnovers go down this year by a, a meaningful amount. Just for more of like, is everything a bit more Bisman-like, Workman-like? There's a job to do this year and right. a little less. There was so much freedom to approach it however he wanted. So right. it's something I'm curious about. So one thing that happened, and maybe I'll do a video on this when we do our season previews. One thing that happened, and Malone actually, or there were people that have actually even talked about it. I can't remember if it was Malone or somebody else. But... At the end of the year, I mean, all season long, Jokic started catching the ball on the move more. Yeah. Like, we think of, if you really think about tangible differences in his game, one of them was he would come off of pin downs last year, like, yep. regularly. He would cut across the court, catch on the move, one dribble, and do something with it. And it was a new part of his game. He's always been a versatile inside-outside guy, but it's mostly been stationary. Okay, I'm going to operate from here. He added that, and I'm thinking of the Pelicans game in particular. Mm -hmm. If you remember, the head, was it the... It was the Pelicans game. He has this play where at the end, like in overtime, where he tries to do something, it doesn't work. He passes the ball back, it gets stuck, and it's Pops like at the end out. of and he V cuts. V -cuts. He cuts to the to the block and then cuts back out to the three point line, catches it and shoots. And I think that it's one of those plays that you don't think about because you're just so hyped in the moment and how cool everything was. Plays like that, for even for him, are new. Right. Those are even more versatile. And I think if we see that part of his game, the ability to run him off V-cuts and stuff like that. Even when you have all your pieces back, there's a whole new level to be unlocked to the right. Nuggets offense and hole right. when you're not running that stuff because you need it in desperation and overtime, but when you can just run that just because it's like, hey, this is hard to guard. I thought that was a big part of his MVP ascension, even two years yeah. ago, was just starting to see hit because defenses had to commit everything to figuring out some way to slow him once everything was set and he right. had position. And then he was figuring out the last thing they're expecting is me to just get position. Right. For, he had that great quote too, where he's like, I don't, he doesn't think he needs, he is so, so slow that when he does accelerate, it has the same effect. Right. You can see that when he moves off ball, it's like the last thing anyone's expecting. Right. And it almost like he shot out of a cannon. Um, Tom Hess says, any ball handling concerns with the departures of Monte yes. and Will Barton? I think absolutely. It's one of my top concerns. If Bones Highland is healthy all year, if Jamal Murray is healthy all year, those concerns are a lot smaller. 
Um, but there's not a lot of great secondary ball handlers. In fact, if you ask who are the best in the starting lineup, who's the best secondary ball handler, it's way closer between KCP and AG than it was Barton and AG. Yeah. It's way closer. I agree with that. So you already have one, you know, a little bit weaker there. And then when you talk about in the second unit, secondary ball handler, Bruce Brown. I think it's Bruce who Jeff I, Green, maybe like right like those are the guys, and they're not great secondary ball handlers, in my opinion. I know the Nuggets view Bruce as a guy who could obviously has he plays every position, played point guard in the past, and in a pinch he could. But I don't think that's ideal. And here's the thing about Bones. We're when we talk about injuries right now, I think we all think of the big, really damning stuff. But it's the little things too. Bones tweaked both ankles last season. Right. And if just for those little stretches, who is who is that backup ball handler? And it was one thing about Will that was underappreciated. He could just run a pick and roll, and and fewer players on this roster can. One thing about this year's offseason, I do think it was great, and I do think there was a sense of you have to get Will out of there because like the role for him has expired a little bit. Right. But part of me wonders, if you could have traded Monte for KCP and you still had Will Barton in your second unit, but it was like, hey, Will, KCP's the starter, you're the bench guy, Like, just know that, Like, deal with it, and let's move on. If you had a bench right now that was Bones, Barton, Bruce, instead of Bones, Davon, or Brown, sure. and, and Bruce, to me, I think I would feel better about it because you have an extra ball handler. You're like as much as say what you will about Will Barton and where does he fit into all of this, he probably wouldn't close very many games at all. At least you would. That would be your plan. He would just be a bench guy. And Bones, Barton, Bruce, to me, would have been a very good one, two, three. Again, uh, I, maybe it was never on the table, but to me, it. I didn't. I was in hindsight. I don't think you wanted to get rid of Will Barton as much as you just needed him to be in the role that was best for him. And maybe that was impossible, right? And I'll th- I think Cousins. I think that's what it is. But you think back to the Nuggets, just lacking dynamicism without their guys in clutch time, and can anyone else initiate any action? Right. And it felt scarce as it were in terms of options. And you know, let's say it's tonight where Jamal's taking a night off or, or Bones is, can't play. It will feel even worse. Like there's a lot of guys that can do a lot of stuff, but fewer than you might think that can run a pick and roll or penetrate a defense. Jordan Scott asks, "What is going to be the biggest hurdle for the Nuggets this year?" There's a couple different <laughs> options. I listed them out here. Number one is health. I just everything with the Nuggets. It, the caveat is if healthy, and so number one to me, the biggest variable is clearly health. They less so than probably any other team in the league outside of maybe the, the Clippers. Health is just a real like X factor for them. So right. that's number one. Number two, the West is loaded. We just talked about if you caught, you know, the the 2019 Spurs, the Nuggets would sweep. There is no 2019 Spurs that are the eight seed anymore. I don't believe that. The eight right. seed this year is going to be a good team. It might be the Lakers. Right. The eight seed is oh. going to be a very good team that is really really tough. And so just the fact that you might it might turn into a war of attrition, even in the playoffs where nobody gets to have a easy four rounds, like all four rounds are tough. To me, that's that's unique to this era, and I think it's almost underrated. Um, next on the list for me, chemistry with Michael Porter. Even I think part of the reason people don't know what to do with Michael Porter outside of the health concerns for him are just that we've never felt like he fully unlocked all of it. And then even if you go back to some of these series, like the – Michael Porter created a complication in that bubble series with the Utah Jazz. As good as he was, right. the defense was like below a threshold, and the offense wasn't making up for it because the chemistry wasn't quite there. To me, Michael Porter being a closer for this team in the playoffs is the best scenario. Bruce Brown's there in case that can't happen. If it just doesn't work to have 
they're getting targeted and you can't get any stops. Bruce Brown is a solve there. But the better solve is if Michael Porter doesn't isn't that guy and the either his defense improves wildly, tough to tough to bet on, but who knows, or his offense fully clicks so that that offense is just humming and there is no awkwardness. There is right. like he fits seamlessly in the way that Clay Thompson fits alongside Steph Curry and it's like you guys are going to score on it for a while, but you're going to get so discouraged when you miss two shots in a row and we hit two threes in a row. You're going to get your will is going to get broken. When those Porter quarters feel less like exceptions or outliers and more like part of part of Clay the Thompson. Offense. That's exactly it. Jamal Murray, Clay, Jamal Murray, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Michael Porter. It's just like you feel like you did everything right, but it didn't matter. He hit four in a row. And, you know, Porter at this at this stages in their respective careers, far more dynamic and talented but a long ways back in that second half of it, which is a big part of it. Can it, as opposed to, and by the way, as a bonus, there's Porter. Can it become more of Porter is a part right. of what makes them so deadly? Um, depth of ball handling players, as we just discussed, is definitely a part of this. The bench in general, I think, is part of this. Camaraderie, the fact that this team is like largely new players that don't know each other. I mean, this is the most different sort of lineup we've had. It's basically like the Brooklyn Nets yeah, traded star players. The Brooklyn Nets role players traded their cast of star players. Yeah. And now they're in Denver. Um, and then we've got backup center position is a small one. And then Bones, like the, I've talked about this a lot. The team relies on him so much. Is he ready for it? We'll find out. Um, Edmund Apathy asks, what would an all-in move look like at the trade deadline? I just wanted to address this one because we've talked about a lot about the Nuggets might make a, a big move. To me, if Michael Porter has a killer Killer four months. So good that teams are looking at him and being like, hey, man, he's worth the gamble on health. And Denver has an opportunity to trade him for a Mikel Bridges, not that exact player. I'm just saying a type of guy that's like, hey, he's not as good. But he definitely, in a playoff series, He'll has no weaknesses. Right. Get this right. And we're going to get it. Like that to me would be the type of uh, could be an all-in move where you trade potential that is unproven in a playoff setting for oh OG Ananobi we know is going to guard your defense is going to be great your ceilings will be lower but we feel like you're more prepared now for whatever it is a team can throw at you to me that would be an all-in move um, and again maybe the all-in move is not doing that Porter looks so good it's going to be really hard if he's averaging 25 a game 24 a game and he's played in most of the games it's going to be awfully hard to say hey right. we need less of that right. awesome stuff. And then the other one to me would be, you know, they have, I think, one pick that they can trade. I, I, I can't remember. It's not a lot. There's some other things I think you they could do to make a second one available. Zeke Naji, Bruce Brown, maybe even a Peyton Watson. So all of your future, you trade those guys for a role player, a Harrison Barnes. <laughs> like a move that's not sexy and you're like, hold on, you just traded Zeke and Brown. Maybe you even trade. Uh, I don't think you would trade Bones Highland because I think he represents part of like a necessity for, for, the, for your roster. But if you traded all the other assets, picks, Christian Brown, Zeke Naji, Peyton Watson, Ishmael Kamagati, whatever it is, all of your future, and it was like, yes, but we got a good role player right. who's unsexy, but he's gonna. we think he's a piece that's going to win now. Vibe with all that. Zeke was the first place I went with this in my head. Even just a smaller, if it turns out the backup center thing is a real problem and it's something you want to address. You know, maybe you lose yeah. value. Maybe you lose a trade in terms of turning a guy like Zeke into a backup center. It's not the sexiest thing, but that leads me to my answer to this question, which is, for the most part, the Nuggets are are there. There's some of these moves they can make, but that's I have always viewed the Aaron Gordon trade as as that all in trade, and I think while there are, it's not a perfect roster, it is a roster that's set up to go and try to win a title this year, and so. 
it's not really about, well, we still need that star or we need that third option. It's more about, do you, do you do some reshuffling in terms of filling roles? Uh, two last ones here. We kind of raced through. We went a little bit long today. Blizzin, Bl- Bill Zine says, if the Nuggets did a one-on-one tournament, what would the final podium be? What's, uh, I'll just answer that first part. To me, the order is Jamal Murray, number one. Uh, first of all, Yoke has to be out of it. <laughs> there was a video. Did you see not too long ago? Somebody posted of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar playing one-on-one against Dr. J, and Kareem just murdered him. Yeah, and like, he just... He's just so big at this or that. And that's the thing is like with Yoke, if Yoke played one-on-one with Jamal Murray, it'd be very boring. He's too big and he would just back him all the way down and then score. So let's take Jokic and even DeAndre Jordan out of this. Not that he really factors in. Let's just take him out. Everybody else, the size is close enough, okay? I think it goes Jamal number one, Michael Porter number two. Michael Porter, by the way, super underrated one-on-one player. He grew up playing ones. Like this is what he does. And he's so tall. He doesn't have to dribble. He's just, I think he's, it's underrated, but I think Jamal a little bit better. And then Bones is number three. Bones a great one-on-one player, but I don't think he's getting any stops. Like, he's not stopping Jamal, and I don't think he's really contesting Porter in a meaningful way. So, to me, I had to put him three. Everybody else doesn't really matter. I agree with that. That order? Okay. I agree with that. Uh, last one from Meg Starling. My favorite question. Here we go. How can the Nuggets rehearse? She knows I love the rehearsal. Such a big fan. How can the Nuggets rehearse playing in the finals? <laughs> Will this give them the best chance of winning? And what team would they they rehearse against? So I li- I took this question a little seriously here. I knew you would. Nathan Fielder was hired by Calvin Booth to come over and be like, the the goal is to pl- to get the Nuggets to be prepared to win a championship this season in training camp. He's in there and he orchestrates how this works. Um, I think I would constantly thrust Jokic into high pressure situations that require leadership. (laughs) You manufacture some things in training camp that no one can foresee. A fight breaks out amongst two teammates. For these possessions, there's no referee. (laughs) No referee. He's just going to get fouled on stuff. Or here's a better one. You get the whole team together without Jokic and you say, Hey guys, all practice you're just going to shoot every time you touch the ball. No passes. No, Don't run the plays no matter what happens. And let's just see how Yoke responds. That's how I would. If I were Nathan Fielder, that's how I would do it. Nobody run the plays. Just shoot. And let's see if Jokic, how does he handle it? I would, um, I would also put Malone through a series of stress tests, but he has no timeouts available. <laughs> and if he accidentally uses one, he gets shocked a little bit. <laughs> I like that. I, li- I like that one of like... You keep doing these scenarios where he has to... You, you simulate scrimmages where yeah. the team just sucks for the okay. first six minutes. Porter blows the rotation. Go. Yeah. yeah, go. Like, what yeah. are you going to do? Are you going to call timeout? Are you going to call... Like, you no, know you, you want gotta, to. You got to save that timeout, one. boy. Uh, I also like a scenario where um, Michael Malone has to play rookies only. <laughs> like, you have a game and it's just like, look, you got to play Christian Brown, man. I, I know he's not your vet, but you just have to. You, and I think you got to bring Chris Paul in. And you just run pick and rolls until Denver gets it right one time. Just one time. I I like it. You simulate these situations where you could either go to a vet who clearly doesn't have it or or a rookie player. And you just like keep putting him in until he gets it right. (laughs) You have to. You have to. And And then Jeff, make sure you sit real close to Michael and look him in the eyes every time something goes wrong. These are the ways I think the Nuggets can best simulate the season to get it right. Uh, maybe Jamal Murray, you simulate before the game. You come by scenario where the team is tricked into thinking you're down. You're down 3-1. Yeah, you're down 3-1. Like, hey, man, uh, I know it looks the scoreboard up there says 0-0 and the game's just starting. But actually, 
you're, you're down 10 and there's only eight minutes left. We created an, an entire recreation of the bubble environment. <laughs> That's it. A full scale full replica scale of the bubble, bubble in outside, Gardens. Of, outside of ball arena. <laughs> it's like surrounding ball arena. That's exactly yeah. how you do it. This is perfect. Um, all right. That does it guys. That was a fun one, dude. Two man, Better two man, man gay man. Uh, if you guys enjoyed this one, hit that like button, but also support us on this trip, guys. Um, buy that T-shirt for us. It's going to be a great T-shirt first and foremost. And then every time you come to the bar, you're going to get like the biggest high five from me because that'll mean so much to me that you guys support us. We got some great interviews lined up for that trip. We have some great events. Apparently, it's beer fest when we get out there, so we're going to go right into a giant festival almost immediately. Great we got some us. really cool stuff lined up. Uh, some some really cool people we're talking to both. Famous people, but also not famous people that are also going to be great to talk to. So I'm just excited for all of this. Uh, and we hope that you guys feel along with the uh, along with us for this ride. Like we have two goals. One, an extended giant documentary of the trip, which we hope to release right before the start of the season. And then the other, just everyday content. So you guys feel like you're traveling along with us on the flight. Uh, maybe not on the flight the whole the whole way, but you get a little sense of what it's like to be in our wheelhouse during those moments. You're coming with us. You're all packing into my iPhone. And we're, <laughs> we're live streaming this. So if you guys want to support us, you can get in, in touch with us, or you can, of course, just buy this uh, this T-shirt. Hit that like button on the way out. 